Good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord and sharing the word this morning. I hope you're excited to receive the word this morning. We are, um, let me move this back because I kicked that little mic thing. So I'm moving the pulpit back just a hair here so I don't do that again. Um, So we are continuing in with the Apostles' Creed um, series. And today is, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And this this picture that we're going to see today is what I consider to be the ultimate picture of hope for the Christian. Everything, think about this for just a second. Everything we've done this week is based on some form of hope. For example... I was working on my car with the hope that it would be fixed. However, it was, ended up worse. <laughs> but you see, the, the, everything we do is driven by some form of hope. So hope then, therefore, is the engine that drives our actions. And it drives our actions in, in a way like an impeller. Whether you're Christian or not, you have some form of hope. And, and the difference between an impeller and a propeller, just in case you're unsure. Both of them create thrust to move forward. But the difference between an impeller and impeller is, excuse me, is that the impeller takes water in. In in the case of like a boat, an impeller, it takes something in and then uses what it takes in to create that thrust to go forward. And in our situation as Christians, we take in the hope of God, the word of God, the promises of God, and that becomes internal. And that internal creates the drive for us to go forward. So that, that's, this is the picture here that I, that I want to lay down this foundation uh, before we dive into the word. And I want to just bring to the forefront of your mind to think about what is it that we hope in? What is it? What is our hope in? And consider this today in an honest way before God, not just uh, taking this haphazardly. And, and there's two different kinds of hope also. There is a general hope which is like money, bills, things, you know, just things that we we hope for. We hope that our bills are going to get paid. We hope for uh, good grades. We hope for the better position at work. We hope for good relationships. We hope for education and degrees in education. Uh, We hope for political heroes. We hope for political leaders and, and people. We have hope in our nation, even our health. And those are good things. I'm not saying that any of those are bad. Those are good things, but those are just general hopes. Those are not uh, ultimate hopes. Ultimate hopes is what we base our eternity on. And, and if we take any of those general hopes and make them eternal ho- or ultimate hopes, then they become misplaced hopes and they become catastrophic. And the reason why is because all of those general hopes will one day cease to be. All of those things that we have general hope in will be no more. But ultimate hope is eternal. Because as a Christian, our ultimate hope is on the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting with Jesus. And that is different. And so think about this. If we, if we take misplaced hope, if we take our hope and we put it on general things and it becomes ultimate we become slaves to that. Like, for example, if you, 
if your ultimate hope is to make enough money to do what you want to do in life, then if that's your ultimate hope, then you're going to be enslaved to only trying to make enough money to do what you want to do. And then what happens is fear and anxiety start to kick in because then you become afraid that you're not going to be able to make enough money and then you start, it just eats you from the inside out. And so that's where it becomes catastrophic to make general hopes your ultimate hope. And so I'm, I'm laying this foundation here so that, you know, we can, we can have this in our mind. And if we, if we notice anxiety and fear in our lives in general hope areas, then let that be a red flag to us. And red flags are good because that's God's mercy and grace of correction. So let it be kind of like a check engine light on our dashboards. And so this last sentence of the Apostles' Creed is the foundation of Christian hope. Christian courage and the ordering of the Christian life. And that's because Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life. And because he rose from the dead, we have that hope that we will too be resurrected as well and have life everlasting. So this is our ultimate hope, this. This is the very impeller that drives us as Christians, the hope of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open them to 1 Corinthians 15. And before we do that, we're going to recite the Apostles' Creed. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand and we're going to recite it. And I just want to reiterate what Pastor Micah has already said, that this creed is not what saves us. This creed is not a magical uh, group of words that we say and we become super spiritual Christians or we have superpowers or even our salvation is not just because we can memorize or recite this creed. This is just the foundational beliefs of what it means to be a Christian as passed down by our forefathers. So let's recite it. And then we're going to remain standing and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 22. And then I'm going to skip down to verses 42 through 44. So if you will, just excuse me one second. I need a drink of water. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Frank, for putting that there for me. All right, let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. Are you with me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sit on the right hand of Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And if you have your Bibles... In 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 17, the Bible reads, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are all of people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, and that means died. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Skipping down to verse 42. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Lord, we come to you, Lord, today. We come to your word, and Lord, we ask you to speak to us, Lord. And we ask you, Lord, to enlighten our hearts, Lord, with your word. Lord, we don't want to jump to conclusions, Lord, or presume anything, Lord. Lord, we need you. We need you to reveal yourself and reveal your heart through your word, Lord. Apart from you, Lord God, we have no understanding. Lord, we can't see. We're blind. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes today, Lord. Open our ears to hear your voice. Lord, show us, Lord God, things that we've never seen before, Lord, in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So there's three things that, that I want to talk about um, today that uh, I want to bring out these truths uh, regarding the resurrection of the body and the eternal life. And if you notice, it, it says the eternal life, not just eternal life, but the eternal life. Because the, the first point is that we are immortal beings and we were made for immortality. We are going to live forever forever, 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 excuse me, if I could say that correctly, <laughs> we are going to live forever, regardless if you are a Christian or if you are not a Christian. Whether you believe in God or whether you don't believe in God, you will live forever. The question is, is will you have the eternal life? The eternal life. C.S. Lewis said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors of everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind, and it is, in fact, a merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously, no flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. We, God takes joy in our, in our joking and fellowship together. And that's one of the things that I really love about this church and, and Pastor Micah is that, you know, we can joke around and laugh and have a good time, but when it comes to the Word of God, we get serious. We get serious, and, and I love that because God's Word is serious. 
But here C.S. Lewis is just bringing out that it, we, we take all of this for granted, not even thinking about it, that we're not dealing with mortal beings when we're dealing with friends, family, relatives, coworkers. We are all immortal. Job even noticed this. In Job 19, verses 25 through 26, Job wrote, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, don't miss this, yet in my flesh I will see God. Don't miss that. He knew that there was something else and something more after his flesh failed. And then he, he had an understanding that not only because he knew that his flesh was going to die, he said when his skin um, is destroyed, he said his flesh will see God. He had a revelation. He had a, a divine knowledge that we will be resurrected. And let me just clarify something here. When I talk about resurrection, and when we talk about resurrection, um, we're not just talking about uh, resuscitation. Has anybody ever been knocked out where, you know, you weren't breathing, <clears throat> and then you came back, they, you know, either somebody resuscitated you or you just, you know, randomly started breathing again? I had this experience when I was younger where... I'll, everybody could dunk a basketball. I couldn't dunk a basketball because I can't jump. Um, may have something to do with it. I don't know. I like to eat, okay? <laughs> but it, so what we did is we stacked up these, uh, these mats, you know, the gym mats that the gymnasts get on, you know. So we stacked, you know, a good pile of them so it was a good. So that way I could run and jump on that and dunk the basketball. Well, I ran on. Jumped on it, dunked the basketball, but I held on to the rim. I didn't know you weren't supposed to hold on to the rim. Because, you know, motion, you know, you know, Newton's law, you know. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Newton at that time. So I grab onto the rim, and my feet are going this way. And when I let go, my feet were, you know, out from under me like this. And so I was falling, and I put my, my hand down like this to catch myself, and it knocked me out. I was out cold. Next thing I know, I wake up, I'm in an ambulance being taken to the hospital. And they told me later that I wasn't breathing. That for a good couple of minutes, I wasn't breathing. And then I started making this gurgling sound. But that's not resurrection. That's resuscitation. There's a difference. There's a difference between resurrection and resuscitation, even I know this is probably going to blow some of your minds, but Lazarus, who was dead four days, that was a resuscitation. Why do I say that? Because he had to die again. Once he, once he was raised by Jesus, he still died again. It wasn't eternal. That's the difference between resuscitation and resurrection. When we are resurrected, when, we, when we're talking about the resurrection of the body, we're talking about Eternal resurrection, not just tempor temporary. One day, our, our bodies are going to fail us. Ten out of ten people die. It's, the, it's a known fact. <laughs> We're all going to die. 
But what we're talking about here is, again, the resurrection of the body eternally. And so if you could bring that back to the picture of what we put our hope in, what is it that drives us as Christians? It's this hope that, yes, we pray for healing, we pray for comfort, we pray for these temporary things, but that is not the ultimate hope. Those are general hopes. Again, our hope is not being healed temporary, and if it is, then let that be the check engine light again, the, the red flag, that maybe we have a misplaced hope because all of this is going away. Our eternal hope should be placed in the fact that we will be with Jesus in the life everlasting if we are in Christ. I want to emphasize that. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 should put it into perspective for us that it reads, For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Think about what that says there and the, the magnitude that we're going to have a body like Jesus' body. Now, think about the stories in the Bible about Jesus. He just, he appeared in places. You know that... They always, you know, you know, the space, Star Trek and all these sci-fi movies, you know, they have these things that beam you places. We won't need that. God's technology is way better. Way better. Jesus ate. Hallelujah for that. I like to eat. He ate fish after his resurrection. I don't know, you know, I've heard some people speculate that you know we'll have we'll be in the prime of our life and you know a time when we were most fit so i'll be like about seven then (laughs) (laughs) but i don't know i don't know what that looks like for us but but i do know that we're going to have a glorified body it says there in in philippians that as his body think about that for a second (laughs) That's amazing. That should blow our mind. I mean, just just take a couple of minutes and think about that later on today. That we will have a resurrected body the same as Jesus. Wow. Let that be our ultimate hope, right? All this sickness that we go through, the diseases, the things, you know, when we're in heaven, all that's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. And so that brings me to the next point, that what God does, this resurrection, it cannot be duplicated. Only God can do it. Only God can do what God can do. In our lifetime, think about this. In our lifetime, we have seen mammals be cloned. Dolly the sheep was the first mammal to be cloned. And then not long after, in 2002, there was a scientific company called CloneAid that claimed to have cloned the first human being named Eve. And she was allegedly born December 26, 2002. Regardless of that claim, cloning neither changes the reality of death or nullifies any pain or grief of this life. 
cloning still only proves the Bible is true, that humans have the power to only reproduce after their kind, as it says in Genesis. Every seed produces after its kind. Humans, we create humans. But what God is going to do is so much greater than just cloning our bodies. We're going to get a resurrected, glorified body. And, and, and as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 35 again. It says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And it reads, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or some other grain. And then verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. Do you see that? Do you see that? So, so here in, verse, in verses 35 through 37, we clearly see that, that this body that we have now is just the seed. The, the, the life of God inside of us, you know, because that's what a seed, you know, <clears throat> getting, I'm going off on a bunny trail here, so just bear with me. Popcorn, for example. If you look at popcorn, what is it? It's just a, a, a seed of corn, right? And then when it's put under heat, it, it explodes into this beautiful, fluffy, and delicious popcorn. Right? I had to relate food in here somehow, I guess. I don't know. But do you know what the power is to transform that kernel into the fluffy piece of popcorn? It's just a little drop of water inside that seed. And, and when that little drop of water gets heated to the point of steam, it, it changes. changes form. And when Christ comes back, that seed, his seed inside of us, is going to explode. And we're going to become that new resurrected person in a glorified body, just like him. Now, there is a little caveat to popcorn. If the seed gets cracked and the moisture escapes, it won't transform. Now, that represents something in our lives. We are born cracked. We are born cracked without that moisture inside of us. And only God can heal it. Only God can take us who are broken and make us whole again and put that seed, that moisture, which water always represents the word of God, inside of us so that we will be changed in that day. Thank God for that because that was not in my um, outline here. I want to reiterate something else, though. While we're going to have resurrected bodies in the life after lasting, it is very important to note that we will not be angels. We're not going to be ghosts either. I know in the, in the word here in verse 44 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says that it is raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean that we are ghosts just floating around, hovering around. No, a spiritual body means it is a pure and perfect body. Pure and perfect, not Casper the ghost. And angels... If, if, because I, I see it all the time and it drives me nuts and I have to refrain myself on Facebook because so many people, oh, 
uncle so-and-so is now an angel in heaven. He earned his wings. No. No. The angels are angels. Read Hebrews 1 if you want to do a study. Paul specifically, which I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, and there's a lot of scholars who do, um, specifically outlines that the angels are a little lower than us. Angels are great. They're ministers of God. But we're humans, and we have salvation. And that's a mystery and something awesome to the angels. So the mystery of the resurrection is revealed through the natural. Death and decay, they're, ne they're necessary, but they're just precedents for the new life. And this new life appears in a new and superior form. God has built his truth in nature for us to see as a living illustration, just as I showed you the popcorn. We can use anything. We can see, we can see God in anything, really, if we'll just open our eyes and ask him. You know, he can reveal himself through anything. That's an amazing God that we, that we serve. And so our bodies are, again, like the seed of what they will be in the resurrection if we are in Christ. Let me emphasize that again. If we are in Christ, we will have this resurrected body and the eternal life. So here on earth, our bodies age. We're burdened with increasing limitations. But in God's eternal kingdom, we'll know nothing of age or aging. The Bible says, dear friends, in 1 John 3, 3, 2 and 3, excuse me, the Bible says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, that's Jesus, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you see how hope then drives the person? According to the word here, we see how the hope of this resurrection drives a person to purify himself just as he is pure. And then the third point here is that God's reality and his gift of immortality should change our perspective. And if our perspective is changed, then it changes the way we act and it changes our outlook. Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He says, time is short. Eternity is long. It's only reasonable that this short life be lived in the light of eternity. Time, how short. Eternity, how long. Death, how brief. Immortality, how endless. Think about that. check the time here make sure I'm not going over I get a little long-winded sometimes y'all uh, if you got your Bibles let's read uh, Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 7 y'all give me an amen when you get there I thought I'd put this on my notes so I didn't have to but everybody there all right so revelation 21 verses 1 through 7 and it says i saw and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away 
and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow, neither crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. How awesome of a picture is that? That God says that I will give to him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. This is where we're meant to be. This is what life everlasting looks like. The life everlasting. Death, cancer, all of, think about the, the things, the hurts you've collected in life and the scars that you bear with you every day through life with things, people, circumstances, whatever it is that have, that have hurt you in life. All those things are going to be wiped away. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. that. That's a weight off of our shoulders that gives us the freedom to live life for God. It's all going to be gone. And in verse 6 and 7 there, look what he says. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. And that's the, like the similitude of Jesus saying, enter into your rest. Well done you good and faithful servant. It's done. You came to me. You were thirsty. You asked of me to drink the living water, and I gave it to you. Well done. Come in. Come on in. Enter into your rest. Wow. Whew. If that doesn't move you inside, then come see me after service. I will pray for you because that is just, that is awesome. And, and here, here's the picture, too. How do we respond to these things? How we respond to these things reveals what our hope is in and what our perspective is. If there's no response inside, then that's got to be a red flag. But if we respond to the general hopes of the world, like making money and doing this and doing that, if those things we respond to but don't respond to this, then we have to say there's something amiss in our hearts. So let those red flags be raised. That's a good thing. That is God's mercy and his grace. When a red flag is raised in our heart, say yes and amen, God. I see it. And just confess it. And he'll cleanse you of it. And he will forgive you for it. He is willing and able. There's areas of our, all of our lives where we try to manipulate and control circumstances for self-seeking gains. And that reveals a place where we're trusting in ourselves and not trusting in God. And if we want the eternal life, we've got to trust God with everything. Amen. With everything. Think about this. 10,000 years from now. 
Let's say you went to the doctor this week, and God forbid anybody did and they heard this, but let's say you went to the doctor this week, and God forbid the doctor said, you have brain cancer and you have two weeks to live. As bad as that is to hear, when we are in eternity 10,000 years from now, it's going to be meaningless. We're going to look back and we'll say, wow, I see how God used that horrible situation that at the time to draw me closer to trust in him so that I could be here today, 10,000 years later, worshiping Jesus and the eternal life. As horrible as that may be to hear those words from a doctor, it's temporal. It's temporal. When we begin to realize the reality of our immortality, that becomes the impeller to drive us from the inside out. And it drives us in a way that will, two things will happen. One, it will make it easy for us to walk away from sin, realizing that we could step into eternity at any time. Think about if the doctor told you you had brain cancer, you had two, two weeks to live. Whatever that sin was you're struggling with suddenly becomes a non-issue. And you can walk away from it pretty easily. Second thing is it gives us the courage and the strength to take seriously not just our immortality, but those around us. Let that perspective give us the courage and the strength to step out and speak out and speak up about their eternity. And the result then is that we become completely disinterested in whether someone thinks we're cool or not, whether we think they're going to like us or dislike us. Because we're no longer interested in being people pleasers, but being God pleasers. That's the hope. That's the ultimate hope that we would want to please God, to, to worship him, to have the, the eternal life with him. He is the prize. He is the prize. And so, in closing, I want to I shape this picture here of eternity. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, there's a description of death and hell. And actually, I'm going to read it because I have time. And I just closed my Bible, too, and I was right there. I don't know why I did that. So we're going to back up just one chapter here in Revelation, if you still have your Bibles open. Um, so in Revelation 20, let's, let's look at verses 11 through 15. It says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose faith, face the earth and the heavens fled away. That's an awesome, mighty God, that the earth and the heavens hide from the face of, of him. And there was found no place for them. That's the heavens and the earth. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is important. And I, I want to reiterate here. I want to I show you something here. 
You know, because those of us who are in Christ shall not see death. And we just read here that, that God says he's going to throw hell and death into the lake of fire. That means two things. Hell and death are entities. And, and we, we've all known, we've all heard the death angel, you know, in, uh, when, in Passover. The death angel came. They had to have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts so that the death angel would pass over. That's why it's called Passover. So death is an entity. But those of us who are in Christ will not see death. We will not see a death angel. The Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't see that death angel. But those who are not in Christ see that death angel. But thank God, upon his return, if we are in Christ... Our name's written in the book of life. There's going to be no more death, no more tears. We who are in Christ will not taste of that second death. There's a saying, and I love this saying. I learned it when I was first born again. It says, if you're born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you die once. And that is so true. If you're born again, you'll only die once physically. Your physical body will die, but then it will be resurrected to the glorious resurrected body. But if you're only born once in this lifetime, then not only will you physically die, your body will perish, but your spiritual body will be cast into the lake of fire, which, as we just read in Revelation, is the second death. And that's eternal. That is eternal, folks. Let's get... Let's get eternity-minded. Let's get thinking about things uh, of eternity. But for those of us who are in Christ, here is the promise. And, and if you're not in Christ, here's a promise for you. You can receive this now. We will hear, verse chapter, turn, just flip right over to chapter 21. And again, we're going to read verses 6 and 7. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You may say, well, how do I overcome all things? You can't. Jesus can. He did. So get in him, because if you're in him, you overcome. If you're in him, you've already overcome. Because it's not based on our works or our abilities. It's based on Christ's work alone. If you're in him, you will hear, it is done. Come in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. <clears throat> and I want to also give a, a warning here. If we keep reading, because we, we don't want to just take one little bit and get out of balance. We want to we see the full message here. So in verse 8, look at, look at verse 8. It says, but the fearful. Are you afraid to come to God on his terms? It says, the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers. And I want to stop right there for just a second. That word sorcerers, you know, 
when, when we think the word sorcery in our culture today, we think of a guy with a little hat with stars that, that bends down and he has a little magic wand and we think that he casts spells and does this little magic stuff, but that's not what sorcery is there. That word sorcery in the Greek is actually the Greek word pharmakia, where we get another word called pharmacy. This is drug use here. This is abusing drugs, sorcery. I just want, I just want to to clarify that, because some people say, well, sorcery, nobody practices sorcery. It's actually drug use, and that is very prevalent in our time today. And idolaters and liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Do you see that again? And here's the invitation. I ask you today, do you take your immortality lightly, seriously? Is walking away from sin easy, or is it extremely difficult for you? I know we all have struggles. I know we all struggle with things. But if we can let God raise those red flags in our heart and not run from them, but acknowledge them before God, even if you know, think about this. Jesus said that if a brother sins against us, to forgive him seven times, 70 times in a day. And if God has, expects us to do that with our brothers and sisters, how much more mercy does God have towards us? The Bible says in the Psalms that he remembers we are dust. He remembers. He knows. He knows we're weak. We may struggle with a sin a million times in a day, but if we acknowledge it a million and one times to God, he will forgive us and he's faithful to. And he, not only that, says in 1 John 1, 9, that he's not only faithful and to forgive us, but he will cleanse us from that unrighteousness. That doesn't mean he just clicks his fingers and all of a sudden you're free of that struggle. He will work it out. Why? Because God wants you to help somebody else work it out too. So let, let the red flags be raised in our hearts, not run from them. I just want to say today that God is here today, and he's willing. Will you receive his mercy if you need it? We all need it. Let him forgive us and cleanse us. And then I ask if you've considered the eternity of others in your lives. There's some here today that may walk out these doors and not think about the word eternity until the next time you walk in these doors. And I would plead with that person to not take eternity lightly. God's mercy endures forever. He's willing. He is able to forgive us whatever we've done. There's no sin that is too great for God's forgiveness. There's only one unpardonable sin. And if you're here today, you haven't committed it. And that unpardonable sin, if you're wondering, if you don't know, because I don't want to just assume everybody knows, the unpardonable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is denying Jesus is Christ. Amen. He is Messiah. If you deny him continuously, when your physical body fails, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit, and there's no forgiveness at that point. So today, take eternity Seriously, think about, think about the resurrection of the body 
and the life everlasting. Think about that. Think about your eternity. Let it become the ultimate hope within you to be that impeller to drive you. Suck in that water of the word. Suck in those promises of God. Suck in all of those things pertaining to God and let that be the, the force that drives you from the inside out. You know, there's, there's lots of religion that, that's like propellers where a propeller um, pushes against and it, it, you know, in 1 Timothy 3 it says there's forms of godliness but deny the power. In verse 5 of 1 Timothy 3. And it says from such turn away. Let us not just have a form of godliness on the outside but no power on the inside. Let the, let the word of God, let this ultimate hope be the power that drives us as Christians. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we, again, Lord, we love you so much, Lord. God, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross, Jesus. Lord, we, <laughs> wretched sinners, Lord, did not deserve the mercy that you've shown, Lord God. Did not deserve, Lord God. Lord, as John the Baptist said, we're not even worthy, Lord God, to unstrap the sandals on your feet, Lord. <laughs> but Lord, even though we weren't worthy, Lord, you saw that we were worth it. And Lord, we so graciously and humbly thank you. Lord, help us to realize our eternities. Help us, Lord God, to see the red flags of misplaced hope in our lives. Lord, help us to acknowledge and, and just be honest with you about it, Lord. That, Lord, if we come to you, Lord, your mercy endures forever. Lord, we thank you so much for your mercy. Lord, give us the courage and the strength to reach others, Lord, thinking about their eternity as, as well. Not just thinking that we have a free ticket to ride, but Lord, you left us here to be your hands and feet to help others. So Lord, give us the strength and courage, Lord, to be eternally minded. As we go out these doors, Lord, let us think about our eternities and the eternities of others, Lord, and what's at stake. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.